Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire and keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias, and I'm back with Yussi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I've been optimizing my filtered coffee process. So usually in the morning, like every morning, I have a cup of cappuccino, and it takes about 20 minutes to to create. But then after lunch, I, I sort of have this feeling that, yeah, maybe one more cup would be fine, but I don't want to spend 20 minutes again on making the cappuccino. And somebody from Italy told me that you do not have cappuccino after lunch. So I've been sort of optimizing my filtered coffee process by pre-watering the filter, trying with hot or cold water, grinding my own beans, of course, with different course settings, using filtered or tap water, stopping the brew halfway in, sort of stirring the grinds and then resuming and seeing if there's a difference in taste. And I've come to the realization that I might have too much time during my lunch breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just thinking that, like, where do you find the time for that? But, you know, an honest comment on that is when I had my barista machine, which I did when I had a lot of coffee, I kind of did the same experimentation and I found all the guides on the internet. And like, yeah. if you get the water imported from here, or if you get that type of water, and if you do this with the water before you actually use it, then, but honestly, I could not tell a difference. I just make a nice cup of coffee and it tastes great and that's it. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy you found a, an optimized routine for, for that. So for me, holiday season is coming. Well, I, I think for most of us, holiday season is, is coming right now. And we're kind of slowly starting to take a short short weekend here and there to uh, wind down with the family from a hectic year. And we recently stayed at one of those grand hotels, uh, which was a super cozy and well-kept uh, building for its old age. And the kids absolutely loved it because you don't have this kind of sterile, modern, square, typical Scandinavian style in those hotels. But it's it's very rustique, very well-kept for like you. It's like entering a different time. So, so that was really nice and the kids absolutely loved it. And hopefully uh, this is the turning point where we can now casually start going out into the public again with the kids to have breakfast or dinner without chaos. Because it's it's been an intense year, one two-year-old and one five-year-old. And going to a restaurant may not always have been the right choice. It's not always been easy uh, with the kids and, and keeping them happy. But I feel now we tried it a few times and they're at the age where they can kind of cope with going to a short dinner or sitting at the hotel breakfast for a, for a while because they can both eat by themselves and take care of themselves a, a little bit more now. So hopefully that's the turning point for, for us where we can start casually going and do more of those things because that, that's been kind of a challenge in the last couple of years. Sounds, sounds fun. We, we do that not too often though, but, but with the kids, we go and have a nice dinner but you sort of have to time box. You cannot do like a four-hour dinner. It, it, it can be 90 minutes, perhaps. If you have the iPad for the five-year-old, then, then it's much easier. Alrighty, so today we have an Azure Updates episode. So we do this frequently to have a look on what sort of updates and interesting things have happened in everything in Azure. Toby, you have your list, I have my list. Which one would you like to share first? Yeah, good question. So I, I found like now after Ignite, it's been a while now, more than a month since Ignite, and there's still updates 
from Ignite that we can talk about. So there's a long list, but I picked some of the ones that I find interesting that also resonates with a lot of things I worked on. And one is a preview feature that was uh, announced just the other day. That's the Azure Quota REST API to manage your service limits. Because if you work in Azure and you do things at scale or even at small scale, you will sooner or later end up with uh, Azure telling you, hey, you don't have quota for that, or you need to increase your quota to do that. It's it's a way of protecting your subscription also from just going haywire and spinning up 200 VMs with the biggest CPU cores. So to do that, you kind of had to file a support ticket with support and say, hey, I want to, for this subscription in that region, I want to increase this type of core to this maximum amount for this SKU or for this VM type. So that was a pretty tiresome process. It usually went pretty quick, but you still have to do it manually for everything. Now the Azure Quota REST API, you can use that to do this programmatically. So for the supported resources uh, that's included in that, the Quota API provides you this easy way to quickly get the current limits. You can get the current usage, and then you can request quota increases, and that's kind of the key point. So you request a quota increase and enumerate whatever current quotas you have by subscription, by the provider or location. And the prerequisites for making this work is that you register a new resource provider called Microsoft.Capacity. And you can do that probably from the Azure portal, like you always can, or using PowerShell, which I usually do. It's just register hyphen AZ resource provider and then Microsoft.Capacity. And then you just assign the quota request operator role to any user or identity that will perform the quota API calls. So those are the kind of two things you need to do. Register the provider, Microsoft.Capacity, and assign that role, quota request operator, to whoever or whatever identity will execute those operations. All right, this is an interesting update. Uh, whenever I need to tweak with the quota, which is not too often, but it typically happens with a with a trial or pay-as-you-go subscription, which is fairly new. So you know you have the defaults in place. I just use the Azure portal. But perhaps I'm I'm seeing uh, an, an interesting uh, usability angle for this, especially in larger environments. Alrighty, uh, on my list, the first one is Azure Multi-Factor Authentication Server Deprecation. So to be clear, this is the on-premises Azure MFA server that you have been able to deploy locally. Usually the reason has been that you want to integrate the MFA authentication challenge process with something that doesn't support the cloud-based Azure MFA service that you normally use. So this could be a Wi-Fi network uh, when users join the Wi-Fi, they also need to do MFA or perhaps an on-premises VPN deployment that you, you want to secure with the same MFA, but you need to run that locally. So the time is finally here that there's an end date for the Azure MFA server, and that's end of September 2024. So about two years from now that we are recording this. Plenty of time, but I also know this is still not perhaps so widely in use, but this is still in use for large enterprises for different reasons, they want to run the MFA process locally. Perhaps it's an air-gapped network, and you just have to run this locally. Uh, I've said many of these in the past, but not none in, in the past five years or so. There's guidance on how do you migrate your users 
from the on-prem Azure MFA to the cloud-based Azure MFA service. Check the show notes. I think that's a great update. And that kind of uh, brings back, back a memory. We talked about this in the past and also from my previous life when I operated, built and designed um, distributed cloud environments, we we often saw that something will be deprecated in two years, right? Or even three years. And you thought, well, it's a long time, so let's not think more about it now. But then all of a sudden it's only three months to go because you kind of forgot about it and then panic starts, right? So, so again, plan, if you're using this, start planning and you don't have to take action today, but well, the only action you need to take or should take is start thinking about it, like have a contingency in place for anything that becomes deprecated. And I'm speaking from experience uh, on that one. So on my side, another preview or actually two or three preview uh, features related to Azure Front Door. So I, I just bundle them together now when I say them. Azure Front Door integration with managed identities is now in preview, which is cool. So that now supports managed identities generated by AAD to allow Front Door to easily and securely access any other AAD protected resources like an Azure Key Vault. So that kind of adds on to the AAD application access to Key Vault that is currently supported, uh, which is like now a, a passwordless approach with identities instead. So you have that option. We talked about that in many episodes already, like going passwordless, going with identities to avoid uh, having uh, credentials in, in code and, and in your configurations. So I think that's a, a good step in the right direction. So there are two types of identities, system assigned, which means the service can have one of those if the service creates that by itself, or user assigned, which means you create a user assigned managed identity, and then you can apply multiple of those. So check the show, show notes. Uh, there's a link for uh, using managed identities with Azure Front Door standard or premium. And the other update around Azure Front Door is zero downtime migration. So Azure Front Door now have the standard and premium tiers. And the new migration capability allows you to do zero downtime migrations from Azure Front Door, which is the classic Front Door, to Azure Front Door standard or premium, which are kind of the new uh, namings or the new additions. Uh, and that's just a few simple steps. So it does take a few minutes to complete depending on the complexity of the instance. So if you have a lot of domains, a lot of backend pools, complex backend pools, a lot of routes and stuff like that, then it will take longer. But it should be with a zero downtime, which is interesting because this has been a problem in the past. We talked with customers and uh, one of their things was like, we have a highly available system that is critical that needs to support this and that and that service. And it cannot fail ever. So in order to support that, you know, for them, it was tricky to just say, hey, let's update a service or do whatever. It might be down for three minutes, but during those three minutes, maybe they missed 200,000 calls to their APIs, which is not ideal. So that's in preview, Azure Front Door zero downtime migration. Also upgrading from Azure Front Door standard to premium tier can be done now without downtime. So you can go from the classic to standard or premium or go from standard to premium without downtime. And if you want to go to premium, you get the advanced security capabilities, increased quota limits, managed web application firewall rules, private connectivity to your origin with private link and all that stuff. So there are a, a couple of updates around Azure Front Door that I really like and hopefully resonates with a lot of people using that. Particularly, I, I like the identity one where you um, we can now use managed identity to connect to your uh, front door. I really like the last one on upgrading from classic to standard to premium. I'm, I'm already sort of envisioning a couple of environments that might require this. Interesting stuff. 
Next on my list, and this is something that's generally available, the Azure Advisor score. So that's been in preview. When you go to Azure Portal, you click Azure Advisor. It gives you the recommendations across the well-architected framework. So you have security and cost and whatnot in there. Uh, but there's, there's a new uh, menu item on the blade called the Advisor score which is a score from zero to 100% based on how well you've tackled the open issues across those five pillars in, in, in the well-architected framework. Uh, but what's now a sort of a new capability here as well, besides this score being generally available, is that you can now exclude certain resources from the score, which I find highly useful because often you have perhaps a single Azure subscription, which has different resource groups for production and test and development. So ideally you'd like to see, well, how are we doing in terms of the production environments? I don't care if I'm 100% on a test environment or dev, but I want the production to be 100%. So now you can filter out or filter in based on tags. I, I had a quick look at this. I couldn't find a filtering option for resource groups, but I could find a filtering option for tags, which kind of allow you to do the same thing. So go and have a look at your advisor score, uh, because then you also know what sort of things you need to work on to reach 100%. Yeah, my, I really love that. I've I've worked with Azure Advisor a lot or used it uh, not worked with it, but I've, I've used it as a tool in optimizing and ensuring we're doing things the right way in Azure. And I, I love that the capabilities just keeps adding on here because it's invaluable to get that guidance. And having a score also helps. You can kind of track your progress going up, going down. Same with the secure score. I think we even had a full episode talking about secure score. I have one final update today from the very long list of updates available. I think this is the, the final one for today, and that is now in GA, so it's generally available. It's manage your log analytics tables in the Azure portal. So that's kind of a new experience for managing your, your tables and the table metadata from the Azure portal uh, for your log analytics. So you can view and edit table properties directly from the Azure portal in log analytics workspaces. So if you use that, you can see this in the Azure portal already today. So you can view uh, the workspace tables, you can view their type, which is Azure table, custom table, search results, uh, restored logs. I think those are the, the different types. And if I look now into my uh, one of my log analytics that's been living for a long time, I have custom tables and Azure tables in there. And all the all the things I use, for example, the NuGet called loganalytics.client using C Sharp to send events into log analytics, like security events or custom application events and stuff like that. Um, you get the table name underscore CL for custom logs or your custom table. Um, so that's the type of custom table. All these stuff that's built into Azure is called Azure table. Uh, and you can now see these things in the Azure portal. So I'm just scrolling through here now and I can see all my tables and I can see kind of the metadata. Uh, I can see what plan they're on. Um, and, and the plan is like, is it analytics or is it a basic plan? You can see the retention properties and I can see here my my interactive retention is the workspace default for 30 days. So I have some configured for 90 days, uh, stuff like that. So you can see that, uh, that that this can be different per table as well. 
So it doesn't mean that the entire log analytics workspace has this retention, but one of my tables here has 90 days and the other has workspace default, which is 30 days. Uh, so you can kind of manage the specific table schema and, and edit the properties from the portal. And then you can create new custom logs, uh, either uh, DCR based, which is the data collection rules, or MMA based, which is the, the log analytics uh, agent. I really like that update uh, because it brings more visibility to what you have in log analytics. And I mean, I've done this using the Query Explorer to some extent. I've been able to uh, pull out the names and whatever data is inside um, specific tables using the KQL language or some REST APIs, stuff like that. But now using the Azure portal from your log analytics workspace, you can just click tables and you can see some data around all the tables you have. And I, I really like that. It just brings more clarity to uh, to what you have. I really like this update and I've sort of come to the realization that the older I get, the more and more I seem to understand that everything in Azure is based on log analytics and KQL. <laughs> so you really need to know those to, to succeed with any deployments. The last one on my list, this is an update and this is the Microsoft Sentinel technical playbook for MSSPs. So this is for large organizations or for partners operating Sentinel across multi-tenant architectures. So it's a playbook, but this is not a playbook in the sense that it's something you deploy to Sentinel as a playbook, but this is a documentation or a guide for how do you best do customer onboarding? How do you scale your SOC operations? How do you access those customer environments and workspaces? How do you optimize costs? Super interesting. And looking at the guidance, it's 60 pages of content. And this is now freshly updated. So even if you do not operate large Sentinel workspaces, have a look at this because I think there's a lot of good content in understanding the basics or sort of refreshing your thinking on, on how to best implement Sentinel in different environments. Alrighty, that's that's all we had in terms of updates. And the last thing is we have the unexpected question. So last week, Toby, I think I did ask you. So this week, uh, it's going to be your turn to ask me the unexpected question. All right. So so here's one. Um, and, and don't ask me how I came to think about this one. The question is, what's the weirdest smell you have ever smelled? Okay, this is unexpected. Um, I, I seem at times, and I don't, I don't mean to sound as if I'm thinking this every day, but I seem to go back in memories at times, uh, back to the, the, the golden 1980s to my, my childhood. I was born in, in 1977. So 1985 was, was, was perhaps the year I was at the ripe age of eight, uh, still attending elementary school on the second class. And that was the summer that everybody wanted to have those fancy uh, pencil cases that were like robots. So you had different buttons and, and you have a digital clock on that one. <laughs> and with those, you would get the erasers that had those weird uh, juicy smell, if you will. They, they, they were sort of mocked up to be like fruit, but they were super artificial. And even to this day, and, and, and this was what, 
38 years ago, even to this day, I can still smell that fairly piercing smell of that yellow eraser. Yeah. Ah, oh, the chemicals going into your brain. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, remember, I, I, I mean, in the 90s, we had those as well. So, uh, yeah. I wonder if they still still sell those, but I, I've, I've had a look at my kids' pencil cases and they don't have any of those. So, so I think it was the 1980s and 1990s. <laughs> and let's leave those there. All righty. Thank you again for, for tuning in and we'll have a fresh episode for you again next week on Wednesday. All right. See you then. Thank you.